It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. James Whale is going to join us later on for a conversation about hair. Do you see what I did there? You know why. Uh, let's talk to Baroness Hoey, though, of course, because uh, it's time to talk about something serious, and that is that the European Union has finally done a trade deal with the United Kingdom. Kate, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. And can I just say, your uh, listeners won't see it, but I've had my hair cut too. So I I'm see that, and it looks <laughs> rather splendid, because I remember last time you and I spoke, you were, you were moaning, oh, awful, you were moaning yeah. that you couldn't get your hair cut. Um, yeah. And it is it is one of those things, isn't it? You forget. Oh, you just feel, you feel a different person. I think anyone, you know, all your listeners know that. As soon as you... As soon as you get your hair cut, you feel... You, you sometimes feel younger as well. Do you feel a bit younger? You've well, I do stuff? actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm always <laughs> slightly unsure because the one thing that I find every single time I go to get my hair cut is the one day that you go to get your hair cut, you look at it and you go, actually, I quite like this. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and then and then they cut it all off and you kind of go, hmm. Um, but yeah, I woke up this morning. And I thought, yeah, it definitely looks better. I feel it feels lighter as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's nice. It's a new day, as they say. It is but a new yes. day. For, and, for, and for all sorts of reasons as well. Let's yes, talk the about the agreement. I mean, it was it was great to get that finally through Parliament. I mean, whatever our problems were with different bits of the trade agreement and so on, uh, the European Union were using the Parliament delaying tactics as another way of kind of getting at us, and uh, it did mean that. I think the government had to be just that little bit more careful over the last month or so what they were doing and what they were saying. You know, the whole question of the protocol was was more difficult because they were concerned that if that had not been signed off, then, you know, the whole thing could have fallen through and that would have brought us back to another crisis. And I think the last thing the government needs at the moment is um, a, a, a crisis over Brexit. <laughs> They've got enough going on in their plate, including what's happening in Northern Ireland, of course, and the protocol there. And I'm, I'm genuinely hopeful now that because we have got that trade agreement signed off, that now David Frost will be able to be quite tough and go in there and say, look, this is not working. We've got to change it. I'm sorry, but it's not working. And we're going to um, simply go ahead and do what we think is right in the best interest of our country, while at the same time doing our bit to help you protect you protect your internal market. Yes, and we'll come back to Northern Ireland in a minute because yeah. there is an awful lot to talk about oh, yeah, uh, with concerns uh, with Arlene Foster and all the rest of it mm-hmm. as well. But what does this actually mean for, say, British business? Because some of the people who have been complaining about the Brexit post-Brexit kind of business um, situation uh, have said that, well, we can't really do business with Europe. There's a lot of red tape going on. There's an awful lot of paperwork that we have to fill in. And, and, and frankly, moving something from one part of Europe to another part of Europe, if it comes through Britain, is, is a nightmare. And it might be quite a small part of business, but, but does this mean that that will become easier for them? 
Well, it should become easier and it should become, uh, you know, a much more cooperative endeavour between the European Union and the United Kingdom. I mean, up until now, there's always been this feeling that, as we've said over and over again, the EU's wanted to make life difficult and wanted to make it so that they could keep saying, well, you shouldn't have voted to leave and then you wouldn't have had this happening to you. Now that this is in the interest now, and I think it was said yesterday by one or two of the senior people within the European Union Commission, that this now it represents an opportunity now to actually move forward in that cooperation because uh, you know businesses in Europe who 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 trade with us and that's very important to to them also don't want to have the hassle of the the various uh, restrictions you know just because there's no tariffs it doesn't mean that there there aren't restrictions and and, and slow slowing up of movement mm. of trade and that's what we've really got to make sure and I happens and of course what we've got to do in this country because one of the problems was when we were in the EU that there were a lot of regulations that somehow the British officials tended to gold plate it as we called and actually do make these um, conditions much more difficult whereas other countries mm. particularly France would simply ignore things if they didn't like them we never did that and I think it's very important now that our government makes sure the officials, particularly in the in the department dealing with agriculture and so on, make sure that we actually do things in the right way, of course, but not gold plating them. Yes, we're not slavishly kind of ticking boxes and going, yeah. uh, well, I'm a jobs worth, so therefore I have to do this to the absolute letter of the law. It's been very clear for years, hasn't it, Kate, that, that an awful lot of European countries have not done that and oh. have simply ignored any regulations that they were asked to, to adhere to if they felt like it. Yes, and they and they tended to get away with it, particularly the the, the bigger countries. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that came home to people when they travelled around uh, Europe on holiday and so on. They would see things happening. That, well, hang on, how can they do that? You know, a lot of the things like I remember seeing the, the cheese markets, you know, with the cheese, cheese all lying mm. out on the tables in parts of rural France. And, you know, that would not have been allowed to happen in England. Everything would have had to be totally covered up and all the kind of people coming along and, yes. and, and giving off about something and not happening right. So I think, I think you know, but also I think the important thing that really from today now, we, you know, we are our own country. We have to make our own decisions. We have to look ahead and look abroad, look globally, as they say, and actually not be tied into this whole idea that our officials and our civil service were so deeply into what is the EU saying? What, you know, can we do this? Mm. We can now make our own decisions and hopefully that will change the whole culture within the civil service. Yes, I mean, only yesterday, uh, Baroness von der Leyen was saying, not Baroness von der Leyen, Ursula von der Leyen was saying, <laughs> um, uh, basically, that uh, they wanted to have teeth. They wanted to ensure that they, uh, all the regulations were carried out properly uh, and they didn't want any deviation from this trade deal just before they signed it. Um, they have also intimated that they want to sort out Northern Ireland. So so where do we go from here? Let's talk about that. Well, um there's actually a number of questions coming up in the Lords today and, and, tomorrow, and tomorrow Lord Frost takes questions tomorrow and I've got a question down about have, has there been any has the EU given any assessment to the societal mm. problems that are happening uh, not just the economic problems in Northern Ireland due to the protocol and I think that will allow Lord Frost I hope to be able to say something about the fact that there's no doubt about it now that the protocol is affecting 
uh, things in Northern Ireland, not just the, the bread and butter stuff that we were talking about, and movement and food shortages, not shortages, but shortages of certain products mm. that we can't get in, but actually a feeling that we have been left behind, that we've been abandoned, that we, we didn't get Brexit. And that is now leading to genuine concern amongst unionist communities that the actual union itself is threatened. And that leads to, you know, to concern, which leads amongst young people to some people to um, wanting to protest. Yes. Uh, and the protests are happening. They've been pretty peaceful in the last few days. Um, doesn't get any publicity when they're peaceful. Well, you do you know, that, I was going to say, it's interesting. Problem. I've not seen a, a, a peep. I mean, when, when, the, when the, the bins were burning and the petrol bombs mm. were being thrown, it was on the news every night. And look at what yeah. Brexit has caused. But now it's all, you know, they've all looked the other way again. Yes, there's been in, in lots of little, you know, villages and towns across Northern Ireland in the evening, there have been people going out in, um, in, in, in small marches, but, you know, quite good fun marches with bands and, mm. and so on, um, protesting. But that doesn't get coverage at all. But, you know, so I think we really do. And that's why the government really needs to grasp the nettle that they can't just think, oh, well, things have gone quiet now, so we can ignore it and the mm. protocol will be OK. It's yeah. not it's not sustainable. And of course, we're seeing, you know, part of the problem that Arlene Foster has had and the reason now that she's under under very, very serious threat of, of no longer being the first minister is precisely because of the whole protocol and the way that, you know, they have the, um, the DUP has tried to sort of, you know, in, in, introduce it so that they're not breaking the law, but at the same time be against it. Mm. And I think that that all of these things are coming to a head now, um, and and that's that is you know dangerous because Northern Ireland needs stability. Well, it does. And, it, and what and what is um, the situation? Because she's kind of I think being accused of not being hard line enough um, with uh, her opponents, but at the same time she is the first minister. I mean, can she be removed simply by no longer being the leader of the DUP? Well, that's that's in, in in yes, in practice she could. There will there is there has to be an election for the DUP leader every year before the end of April. Right. Uh, notice of it. That's never happened. There's never been a an election. You know, they've kind of passed on from Ian Paisley um, to uh, Peter Robinson to Arlene Foster. Um, I think there's no doubt about it that the grassroots of unionism, and particularly in the DUP, but it's, it's also true of the mainstream unionist party, that they feel that they've not been listened to. Mm. And I think Arlene has been, she did have the original the great difficulty of something called the RHI, which was the scandal about heating systems yes. that all sorts of people got extra money for. Yeah. And the, the, the officials really weren't very, and it was under her her watch that that happened, unfortunately, for her. And since that, <clears throat> her position has been, you know, periodically under threat. But yeah. there's never been anyone coming forward who really is going to challenge her. So I still think there is a, an issue about who would replace her. But yes, that that person, um, you know, would be more likely to be someone who's already in the Assembly and then would become the um, the First Minister yes. until the elections, the elections next May. And, and presumably below the waterline, as we sometimes like to refer to it, there's an awful lot of activity going on from Sinn Féin. Uh, who are, are loving the idea that Brexit isn't working terribly well and are loving the idea that, uh, mm -hmm. that the, the unionists are feeling slightly left out of the union. Yeah, and of course, they, the, the protocol sits uh, very nicely and, and the, you know, that was their threat of violence that led 
led the Irish government then to continue with the British government and the EU to say we can't have a border uh, on the island of Ireland or down the uh, at the frontier. Mm. But yes, I mean, Sinn Féin changed their view, of course, on, on the EU. They were very much against the Maastricht Treaty, the Lisbon Treaty. And suddenly they saw, I mean, they're quite a, I mean, I, I, they are a very clever party in the sense that they worked out that actually to be uh, against Brexit was going to be more useful for them, mm. uh, which, of course, some of their rank and file members who'd always been anti-EU find this quite strange. So Sinn Féin are, uh, but Sinn Féin are also having problems. It wasn't reported, but the whole of the, the London Derry, Derry uh, um, executive of Sinn Féin have now been um, kicked out by mm. their own party. So there's problems going on everywhere. Mm. And, uh, it's it's, it's um, all because... A, the start of the protocol, but also because there are elections next May. And when you get near to elections in Northern Ireland, everybody does start to um, be- become quite unsettled. Yes, I was going to say, you can sort of feel the tension, can't you? Whenever, uh, whenever and of course, there. it's happening in Scotland too, aren't we? I mean, we're all going through all of Scotland, we're in Scotland next, next yes. week. Well, I watched, um, I watched a very bad-tempered uh, debate last night on Channel 4 News. I don't know if you saw oh, that. Oh, I didn't see um, it, yeah. with, with, with Nicola Sturgeon and, and the, the leader of the Tory party, Douglas Ross, I think it is, um, absolutely just going after each other in quite a nasty way, uh, which made for OK TV, but didn't really get us very far when you want, wanted to know about what was going on. And, and in, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, Christian Guramurthy had to kind of conclude, well, the problem is the only, the only person <laughs> who's on this panel who's likely to become First Minister is Nicola Sturgeon. There isn't yeah. really... There isn't really and any other outcome so it's all a bit sort it's all a bit sort of pointless you know yes and then there's we have problems in in england as well although i i have to say um even if you weren't going to ask me i have to say i think the whole dining street flat stuff is such a, a kind of nonsense in a way you know it, 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 it the idea that it's got had so much media attention and so many words written about it when really you know frankly if, if you're the prime minister and you have to live like above the shop, as they say. Mm. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I personally, I'm not. Sh- I, I think they should be told when they become prime minister that they can't actually change anything in the exactly. Flat. I think that because, would make that would make so much sense. I mean, it's and, not I mean, their flat. It's not their flat. Right. It will, so I, I, but I think then the fuss about who who's paid for it. As long as, as lots of people have said, as long as it's not you know the taxpayer paying. Yes. But except, uh, you see, I, I, I slightly differ from you on this, Kate, because what you I say... You think the taxpayer should pay? No, I don't think the taxpayer should pay, but mm-hmm. the taxpayer already does pay. The taxpayer gives them 30 grand yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah 30,000 which, should be enough. Which really should be enough. And I, think I know, the, I agree. And I, I think agree. the problem here is not so much what's happened, but how they've reacted to it. And the idea that somehow the Prime Minister's fiance is spending oh. money hand over fist, which he apparently can't afford, so he therefore has to go outside of uh, uh, his own pocket and borrow money from somebody who then is presumably he's in hock to. And I think yeah. the fact that they haven't revealed who that person is is a problem. And also, I think anyone who spends um, you know upwards of nine thousand pounds on a sofa and seven thousand pounds on a drinks trolley, you know, and needs their brain examined. You know, and I think oh, that's I, part I, of the problem. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's been handled very, very badly. I think the whole communications team at Dining at Dining Street now is, is, is you know, they got rid of everybody because of the, supposedly they were going to get lots of better people. Mm. It doesn't seem to be working because they should have come out right away and said what it costs and yes. who's paid for it. And also, you know, expected that I the, the fact that somebody might think of spending £9,000 uh, on a sofa is ludicrous. Yes. And, you know, I mean, in, in that position, you'd think that if you're Prime Minister, you realise that those... Everything you do, you don't really have a private life when you're no. in a public 
figure like that. And so it is disappointing. But, you know, I just wish we could get over that because. It well, is, I wish we could as well. But we could get over it if he would come out and simply just say, look, this is what happened. This is how we dealt with it. And here's the story. Um, and even, and- if, even if he was to say, well, actually, you know, like all uh, or like many men, I um, have to go along with my uh, my girlfriend, fiance, yeah. wife. And, and she was desperate to have this, this sofa. <laughs> yeah, I and I mean, he could part. make, exactly, I mean, there's any number of ways he could he could deal with it, but, but sort of skulking around and saying, I'm not telling you it's private. It's not yeah. private. You know, you're not private. You are the no. Prime Minister. No. Uh, we can we can understand It's damaging. That, there's no doubt it's yeah. damaging. We, and we have, it's yeah, and you, played, played very, ke- very cleverly by Labour because, again, the election's coming up um next next week yeah i mean yeah. i think it will have absolutely no relevance whatsoever to the election i don't no. think it will have any bearing whatsoever on boris's popularity in the polls but i just think it doesn't look good and i think he's in such a good situation uh we did plank of the week yesterday i'm not going to reveal uh, exactly who won it but you know the fact is carrie by doing this has put him in a difficult place and it didn't need to happen no you're absolutely right and uh you know, I, I absolutely like you. I think it could be sorted and it should be sorted today because otherwise it'll just keep going. Mm. And um, so let's wait and see what yeah. he says. I mean, meanwhile, of course, we're all going off to buy some rattan. I mean, you know, when uh, when when <laughs> when Princess the, the Duchess of Cambridge wears a nice coat, everybody goes and buys one. We won't all be going out to buy a rattan chair for three and a half grand, I don't think. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you finally about Johnny Mercer, because that's also a big oh, story yes. uh, yeah. in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, because clearly um, I think he was there, was he not, the other day? Um, yes, he was. I and thought fact, uh, I... I thought it, he was going to do great things as the uh, Minister for Veterans. The whole business was set up. He wasn't happy about the fact that, uh, uh, that the government could not guarantee that these prosecutions of, of former British soldiers wouldn't go ahead. I mean, this is another thorn, I think, in, in Boris's side, which he also mm-hmm. needs to sort out. Yes, and I, in fact, I travelled back on the same plane yesterday from um, Belfast to mm. London with Johnny Mercer. He'd come over for the uh, trial, the beginning of the trial of the two soldiers, A and C, which we can't really talk about in detail, but he had sat through that trial. And he, he is very, very angry about what has happened. Um, I mean, I think he made his position clear that he was going to resign when the bill went through because he had seen no real progress mm. on getting the, another bill to bring Northern Ireland into the same position so that soldiers who served 40, 50 years ago under incredibly difficult situations yes. and back, back roads in the middle of the night where they were being targeted. Um, and, and he, um, but then Downing Street intervened and kind of sacked him. So it was, it was all a bit, you know, handled again very badly, I think, by Downing Street. But he's determined to carry on and I am too, because I've raised a number of issues in this and tried to get an amendment into that bill the other week. Just, we've got to get this in, in Northern Ireland. And we, the problem is that some people want to equate how our soldiers uh, and armed forces behaved with, with the IRA terrorists. Mm. And what we don't want is to see um, you know, an amnesty for everybody. Um, but we do not want to see people being, being prosecuted for something that happened uh, in a, in a, you know, who are almost being harassed now. Some of mm. these soldiers who are in their early eighties, some of them very ill, and it's just wrong. Yes. It's just completely wrong. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's one thing to have a Good Friday Agreement, which releases people from prison uh, yeah. and says we are now forgiving you for what you've done, but you can't then go after people uh, who have done similar things, uh, which are not anywhere like similar, actually, um, in terms of working for the crown. Um, and, and, and in the mm-hmm. same breath say, well, we're going after you now. 
No, I mean, there has been a kind of amnesty. They got the on the on the runs issue. Um, there was the letters of of, of um, you know let, uh, letting people off letters that Tony Blair did to people. Um, you know, we don't know what underhand deals were done with mm. even people like Martin McGuinness and Jerry Adams. Those yeah. were kind of things that were happened. And yet, at the same time, because the army keeps records and there's something to look at. You know, this this has allowed them. The IRA didn't keep records of, of what they did, mm. and 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 this has allowed people to be harassed. It's, it's a lot of it's to do with the whole lawyer issue of human rights and and kind of bandwagon approach to this. And I, I'm I'm disappointed that the government didn't kind of step in right away and say enough's enough. We're not going to allow this to happen. Um, anything after five years. Uh, which is what the the, the new overseas bill um, that's going through will say. You shouldn't be able to be, um, uh, you know, tracked down mm. and, and harassed. And I hope that I just hope the court will find them. I gather the evidence wasn't great, so I hope the court will find them not guilty. Yes, I hope so too. Baroness Kate Howey, thank you very much indeed. As ever, uh, talking a great deal of sense about a great many things. The Brexit deal is done. Uh, we've got a situation going on with Johnny Mercer uh, and those veterans that needs to be sorted out. Uh, we've still got, by the way, the Boris Johnson situation that needs to be sorted out. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on. Uh, we've got hair that needs to be sorted out as well, particularly if you're Tony Blair. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Loads going on today. We're going to be talking about driverless cars coming up. We're also going to be talking about this. Tony Blair and his hair. What is going on with that? He looks a bit like a cross between Doctor Who and Peter Stringfellow. Now, let's talk to a man who knows an awful lot about hair uh, and even remembers probably when he had some of it. He is, of course, the legend that is James Whale. James, a very good morning to you. And a very good morning to you, Michael, as well. Um, I like it. You like what? My hair or Tony's? No, no, I like uh, I like Tony. Your hair looks ridiculous. When do you have that done? I had it done yesterday. What do you mean ridiculous? How dare Absolutely you? Absolutely ridiculous. I, I, you spent th- I, spent, I spent 35 quid on this in the Turkish barbers, and they also gave me a, uh, a hot towel on my face. They put those, you know those things that they use to burn the hair out of your ears? Have you ever seen yeah. those? You know, the flames. I've had it done. Yeah, I so a bit of that. Um, I, I, I was given a free bottle of water, and it was great. Yeah. I have a regular beard trim and uh, ear removal and nose removal. Ear removal? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I think, listen, Tony Blair, much as I didn't like him as a prime minister, actually could play Buffalo Bill. I think if he got a cowboy hat, I'm writing about this in my thought. I thought you meant Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, you know, the series. No, 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 no. Look, look, get him in a fringed buckskin and a pair of cowboy boots. He'll look great. Somebody asked if he was putting back, putting his band back together. You know, uh, yeah. I can't remember what the name of it was, but uh, um, but you know, he, he, he doesn't look great, does he, with long hair? I mean, men of a certain age should not have long hair, in my view. I totally disagree with you, Michael. That may surprise you. I think uh, he looks real. I think either you shave your head off, complete hair, hair, <laughs> completely, or you, or you go the other way. When you become, you know, our age, Michael, I think you need Steady. to make a statement. Because when, you say, when you say our, I mean, we are quite a long way apart in that area, I have to tell you. Really? Yeah, certainly. I didn't know you were that much older than me, but okay. Um, <laughs> My I hair's not even grey, James. I mean, you've got no hair left at all, right? Well, at what point did you decide? Can I say, can I say at something, At what point did you Michael? decide to shave it all off? Um, about 20 years ago. Right. 
Um, there are there are pictures of me around with hair. I, I think, think we found a picture of you with hair. Actually, we're going to see if we can uh, we can uh, produce it at some point right. from with the wonders uh, of our video technology. But Michael, you've had your hair cut now, so it looks like it's a little cap sitting on top of your head. You should have allowed that lovely long locks coming down yeah. the back, which you had before. It made you look more distinguished. You think? Now, yeah, but yeah, it was I kind do. of but it was growing out though. You see, the trouble is for me, right? My it hair now, matter. my hair now only grows sideways. It doesn't grow on the top. It's sort of you know, it's there. Product. It's still there yeah. on the top, but it doesn't really grow much. But it grows like out here. Like it start look like Wurzel Gummidge. Look, can I tell you, I have more. If I was to grow my hair, I have more hair than you. Rubbish. Absolutely. No, rubbish. no, look, 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 it's here. Well, why don't look, you do it? Show us the top of your head. There's nothing there. There's literally nothing there. It's all here. No. It's all there, but I have... Look, it's all there. Look. There's nothing. There are no follicles yeah, no, to no, speak there. of. There I are... have I have a very bald patch there. Right. Which is why I... And I had that since I was 18. Yeah. And I decided to... Um, oh, is that your... What is that? Is, is Ian Blackford <laughs> popped by? <laughs> it's what? <laughs> Remember Ian, Ian Blackford's dog last week on Prime Minister's Questions, which just kept Come barking. On in, you Cujo! Sit down. Cujo! Get out, Cujo! Um, <laughs> Now, I, I'm, I'm having a few words with a, um, a farmer who thinks I might have encroached a couple of inches on his land with a fence I put up. Oh, no, they don't, you don't want to get into trouble with farmers. They're, they are ruthless people. Cru so very cruel, very cruel. So am I. Right. Do you know, when yeah. I once lived in a house in Wiltshire, the entire village uh, that I lived in was flooded, right? Um, because the farmer had decided instead of having um, a set-aside field, he'd ploughed it, right? So the rain just ran off it. And people's businesses were ruined. The pub was ruined. People mm. went to this farmer um, and, and they said, what are you going to do about this? And he went, um, it's an act of God. I'm not going to do anything. Absolute, absolute he, he, swine. He, he, uh, he. I'm not going to say what I'm going to do. But anyway, he will just comply. Yes. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that. that. Now, listen, I think we should sort this hair thing out once and for all, OK? Yeah. Uh, oh, I think, we've got, I think on, we've got the picture. Hang on a second. Here we go. Look at my girls. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> what is going on there? Look at the moustache. That is the first ever photograph, publicity photograph of me when I went to work for my first ever radio station. I can't hold the camera steady. Yeah. And um, Was that up in uh, Newcastle? Yeah, in Metro Radio in Newcastle. Fantastic. I don't think it exists anymore. Yeah. And you look I'm very dodgy. 22, some people say almost like a porn actor. Almost, um, yeah. Yeah. From uh, the 20, neck up. <laughs> 22 years. Behave yourself. Sorry. 22 years old I was there. Astonishing. You look about 32. Do I? Oh, thanks. I mean, you look like a member of the Sweeney or something. Well, that was the fashion in those days. You know, you, you collar outside the jacket. Yeah, I remember the Sweeney. Oh, I was damn. still at school when that was on. Yeah. Well, you, you're not ageing as well as me there. Well, now, listen, um, can we do this? Can we sort this out? Be good for our programme. What do you want to do? I want to come into the studio. Yes. And I want to cut your hair like mine. No way. There's no, no, no chance. It's going to grow back if you don't like it. No. What's the problem? No, because it takes forever I'm... to grow back. I don't wish to have no hair. That is not my look at all. Yeah, but, you know, if this will be for charity. We'll do it for charity. I'm not doing it for and charity. I must be joking. I'm not doing I it will for tell you what I'll do. I will grow my hair back at the time you grow your hair back. Yes. All right, I'll tell you what. We've got to go because, as usual, you've overshot the uh, the time limit. James Whale, fantastic man. Uh, I, of course, uh, am never going to be bald like him. Uh, he's only bald because he has to be. It's nothing to do with choice at all. Don't believe a word of it. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. June Olay Days is what it says on the front page of The Sun today, which is not bad, is it? Not bad at all. Let's talk to Lisa Francesca Nand and see if she is as excited about it as I am. Lisa, very good morning to you. Good morning. I'm so excited I actually booked a flight yesterday. Did you? I'm, I'm so excited or stupid, one of the two. In fact, I am really <laughs> stupid because it's been so long since I booked a flight. I actually booked the wrong days and then had to go in and try and change things. I booked one day when I didn't want to go for one day. And um, it's like I'd forgotten how to do it. And for someone who has travelled around the world, that is quite embarrassing. Well, listen, but yeah, I, I booked a flight. Don't feel embarrassed. I was at the hairdressers yesterday, right, and completely forgot about all the things you're supposed to do. You know, I sat down in the chair and the guy's going... Um, can you take glasses off? Oh, right, okay, yeah, sorry. Um, can you lean forward? Oh, yeah, right, okay. I mean, I just kept, you had to keep talking me through like a child because I was like, it's been so long. I actually, when I went to book it, they take a credit card number and the one that I'd used the last time had actually expired. It was that long ago, so. Um, it's really you know, disorienting, isn't it? it? Is. The things that you start to doing, like when I've been out to bars and restaurants, obviously sitting outside and I have to check in with my app, I'd forgotten how to do it. And yeah. I was locked out my gym and it just, it makes you feel like you're suffering from some sort of memory loss thing. It's very strange. Well, I think, that's true i mean i said this last year because in the first few weeks of the lockdown you know i stayed in london i didn't see my kids i didn't go down and visit them in their house in the country um and when i finally did go after about eight weeks it was great to see them and after about an hour we're all sitting in the garden we'd had a barbecue and we all kind of ran out of things to say because we hadn't really been sociable for such a long time that we didn't know what we were doing it was quite strange yeah, it is. It is like that. You know, when you bump into the people in the street and everything. I mean, I just hope that we all get back to normal at some point or just a little bit um, more forgiving with each other. I yes. think that we're actually all lost a bit of brain power. I think there's no doubt that London is definitely coming back. I mean, I'm uh, coming in on the tube this morning. It was very busy. It was almost not. I mean, it's not quite as busy as it was when you were crammed up against each other. Uh, but it's getting that way um, compared to what it was like just even three weeks ago. So there's definitely more people out and about. There's more people coming to work, it seems to me. More people are now thinking all right I've had a jab uh, so I can actually go back to work I feel safer uh, for whatever reason they didn't feel safe before you know borough market's really busy restaurants are getting busier you know and uh, the weather's not so great today but I've got lunch today I'm sitting outside somewhere hopefully it's not going to rain if it does we'll have to just get an umbrella I guess 
It's the same here in Brighton. Brighton feels busier than ever. And I guess in many ways it is busier than ever because um, people are coming down here, but also people are still not working full time. People are working full time at home as well still. So they can go for walks along the beach and all the, if you go downtown on any random Tuesday, whatever day it is, all the terraces are packed. You mm. think, where where is everyone coming from and why aren't you working? But they're probably thinking the same about me as well. So we're all <laughs> looking at each other thinking, why don't you have a job? Yeah, it's like all these people used to complain. I was in the park at the weekend. There were so many people there you go well you were yes. one of them you know but what about this travel plan then because clearly um we still haven't quite got the absolute and utter blueprint of how it will all work but what's your what's what are you hearing i'm i'm feeling a little bit more excited i have to admit and i think booking a flight yesterday to spain um as a travel professional was a mistake um because i do think that spain will be on the amber list it, right. it indicates at the moment um and of course you know I, I do believe we'll be going away after may the 17th um europe particularly want to welcome us um but the, it's not down to what uh, to what countries will accept us obviously it is to a certain extent but that's half the battle the other half of the battle is what happens when you come back mm. here so we're watching for this green list which they say will be released on the 7th of may we might get indications we're getting indications earlier obviously obviously these things are often sometimes leaked before and yes. you know we can make guesstimates well that's only next week isn't it it is it's only nine days away yeah. i think because april's a short month um so that's not long to wait and they're saying that portugal might be on the list um israel might be on the list israel's a lovely place for a holiday mm. actually um and gibraltar which isn't a great place for holiday i know gibraltarians might disagree with me but i'm i go there quite a lot for practical reasons and, I, and i'm not a fan no um so i i think we will be able to get away but it's what happens when you get back and yeah. if somewhere's on the amb obviously we all know what happens you're not going to go to a red list country but spain greece cyprus turkey all look like they might be on the amber list and that would mean that yes you're allowed to go but when you come back you'll have to isolate at home for 10 days and that's going to mean a lot of people who have jobs children they have to take to school all sorts of things like that won't be able to to make that decision mm. okay if you're retired or you have no you know it, it depends on what your personal circumstance is but it's going to mean a lot of people me included will not be able to go when you still have to isolate for 10 days when you come back no i think that's absolutely right and what about the actual uh, sort of measures that you may have to provide on going to certain places because i was told the other day that turkey are basically saying we don't care whether you've been vaccinated or whether you've got a positive or negative test you can just come uh, which may be true i don't know the greeks are more or less saying uh, if you've got one of those little cards that you got from the vaccination that's good enough you know i mean it all sounds a bit kind of piecemeal doesn't it it does. And everyone's making it's really fa quite fascinating, actually, that each uh, many EU countries are making individual decisions and coming out and saying, uh, you know, individual specifications like Greece said this week, a couple of days ago, they said that um, they would accept, like you said, the the, uh, the cardboard thing, which I am now in recipient of um, having had one vaccine. Right. Um, but um, yeah, so I mean, that surely that's not great evidence. Like surely you could fake one of those. You well, know, I was really surprised there. when I saw one of those and I was like, is that the best they could do i mean we're literally in 2021 you know i've got a library card that's more you know high tech than that surely they could give you something which could be a little a little bit less easy to forge well, the, the news today is that they are going to. We, we could see this coming. Um, we've seen this coming for a while. But what they've said today is that they're going to use the NHS app. Now, initially, there was some confusion as to whether that was the NHS uh, taste and 
not taste and trace or whatever taste and it trace. is. That could be a new yeah, one. Yeah, the taste and trace. It is for eating out. Um, test and trace yeah. app, uh, the one that we have to scan in when you go to bars and restaurants and public places. Mm. Um, and um, now I think we're going to be, they're saying it's going to be the actual NHS app, which I don't have actually to book appointments. But it, and if you've got a smartphone, um, you know, it's quite easy to download that app. And they're saying that now, that will have your proof of vaccination on it and also or, or also I should say your proof of a negative test mm. which you obviously have to go out and, and take so right. most countries if, if people say oh it's unfair because if you haven't been able to get the vaccine you won't be able to travel that's not true you will also have the option of a, of a negative test as yeah. well yes um, so I, mean, I think anyone who wants to travel we we will be going it just all depends on what happens you know the risk you can take about having to quarantine etc when you come back right and the other worry I have just about just in general because I mean I used to love traveling but I actually hate the physical traveling part I love getting places but the actual traveling now is is not terribly pleasant um presumably this is going to slow everything down I mean you'll know better than me Lisa arriving in a lot of countries is already quite slow I went to COS once and there was about a 45 minute wait to get through customs similarly I went to Turkey once and about four flights arrived at the same time we were stuck in a queue for over an hour People say coming back is also a big problem in Heathrow, particularly um, five, six hour queues just a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if that's still there because they're having to check things now. So it's bound to be slower, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I can imagine. I can only imagine what we'll face when we arrive in certain countries. I mean, there are countries where you can queue for days to get in. It feels like going through U.S. immigration. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I've been pulled out and asked why. Why are you going to Las Vegas? It's like, why does everyone go to yeah. Las Vegas? I yeah, have a gambling not? problem. Right. I don't have a gambling problem. I've never even used a slot machine. But I'm going on holiday. You know, yes. they're very sort of brutal about it. Yeah. Um, and uh, but our biggest problem, I think, is coming back into this country mm. at the moment because, like we've seen at Heathrow, we're just not equipped to cope with all the checks we've got to do that the queues are bad enough without all the checks and on top of all the checks you know unless we get more border control in uh, which is a government thing rather than a, a you know an airport yeah. thing the airport bosses are crying out out for help so that will be a pain but to be honest like some of us who really want to travel will just see that as a, a necessary evil i think there were talks of making a um one of Heathrow's terminals specifically for the for the red countries and yes. isolating like that but well that would be sensible I, wouldn't I, it I, it would, but logistically, I have no idea how they'll be able to do that. I think it, mm. you know, I, I have no idea how the slots sort of work at the at the airports, but yeah. um, I think it would be a, a massive logistical undertaking. But for those of us who want to travel, and apparently people are booking travel. Now, when I tried to book my EasyJet flight yesterday, um, I, I messed up, but in between... Um, booking it and finally booking it all the flights that I wanted had gone so mm. I ended up spending a lot of money so people are, like me many people are going right I'm going to book something and risk the the green amber list yeah. or they're thinking right I'm going to book Portugal uh, or Israel probably fewer people booking Israel mm. um, but it is a lovely place to go actually well I'm um, told so Tel, Aviv, are booking now. Tel Aviv is a great ho holiday place isn't it Oh, Tel Aviv is amazing, like a really good city, really good party city. Mm. The food is fantastic. Uh, you can go down to the coast to Elat, which has also got all the, it's a beautiful city. Right. And uh, it's got beaches and really, really stunning, really, really lovely. I would recommend it. Yeah. The only thing about going to Israel is security at the best of times is yes. really, really harsh. You know, mm. they've got machine guns at, at the airport. Yeah, they're not here. messing around, are they? They are not messing around, no. And it's quite funny. I remember going with my, my then boyfriend and they said, well, why aren't you married? And we were like, 
I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Yeah, absolutely um, right. Now, I've just got a, bit, a little sorry. bit of breaking news here. Sorry to break into you. The Electoral Commission, this is for all of you people out there who told me that this wasn't a story and I should stop flogging a dead horse, right? The Electoral Commission has announced it will investigate the refurbishment of Boris Johnson's Downing Street flat, saying it was satisfied, in its own words, that there are reasonable grounds to suspect that an offence or offences may have occurred. So there you have it. The Prime Minister has now been investigated by the Electoral Commission, which suggests to me, uh, Lisa, and I'm not asking you to comment on this, because you can if you want, um, uh, suggests to me um, that this was a donation that came in uh, from someone who would otherwise have been donating to the Tories' electoral campaign. I mean, who doesn't think that gold-plated wallpaper or whatever they, they got was uh, was essential? I mean, obviously, this is, this yeah. is essential. I mean, the only I mean, thing I'm, I'm surprised I mean, I'm, at... I'm, I'm waiting for you to show me uh, your Nureyev trolley. Uh, which is not a dance uh, move. No, it's uh, no. I can only imagine. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of money, isn't it, to decorate? And also the John Lewis, the John Lewis comment. Like John Lewis yeah. is out of the budget for many of us. Of course you know, it that's, is. Like, that's posh stuff. I you mean, know, I, that I, is, I can just about afford. I can just about afford a Christmas decoration from John Lewis. Never mind a sofa. I'm still saving up for one, you know. <laughs> yeah, so listen, how about this? I've got a tweet here from Mandy. She says, I'm stuck in Cyprus. I looked at coming back home, but we've got a dog. So BA is the only choice to London. £980 for the dog. Blimey. 250 for the flights, 200 for the COVID tests, and also need to travel north, so possibly a car hire for it to sit on the drive for 10 days. So, you know, I mean, that's a lot of money. So you might as well stay in Cyprus, Mandy, I think, right? Yeah, you might do, but some people get stuck somewhere and they don't want to to stay there all that at that time. And it is quite frustrating, you know. You go on holiday and you or go for you know a few weeks or months or whatever, and you don't really want to stay there because you, you need to get back home. So no, I, I get that, and I'm guessing she's looking into going overland as well, um, which is just as expensive. And yeah, no, I, I was funny enough. I was speaking to a lady yesterday who came back. She'd been living in Spain for three years, and uh, she came back here on holiday and has got stuck here because she can't get back because she didn't have a residencia, uh, and now Spain are only letting people. In with residency for the next um i think it's going to change soon but she she couldn't get back in and she's saying she's booked a ticket for the 6th of june please tell me i can go please tell me i can go and i was like yeah i think you'll be able to go but for how long you can stay obviously now because you can't just go to a european country and stay there for three years you have to come back in 90 days um and also who knows what happens when you're trying to get back and isolate so there are a lot of people it's not just about holidays is it we say this a, a lot but there are a lot of people stuck places they don't mm. want to be and people people separated from friends and family and loved ones and work and homes and all of that sort yes, of stuff too. Yes, exactly right. And do you see at any point this year, perhaps, um, Lisa, the removal of the mask mandate so that you would be able to get on a plane? Because one of the things that really puts me off is getting on a plane with a mask on uh, and sitting there for seven hours if I have to fly to New York. You know, and I know they say you can, you know, take it off when you're eating and drinking, but even I can't eat and drink for seven hours. <laughs> I mean, I probably, I mean, I used to when I was younger, but not now. <laughs> Just keep a packet of crisps open a bit in front of the, in front of you all the time. You have to be um, a big no, packet for seven hours. Yeah, a massive packet of crisps, um, taking up your whole hand luggage. Um, that sounds quite nice to me. And a big bottle of wine, I'd, I'd accept that on a long haul flight. Um, no, nothing has been said at the moment about that. And to be honest, I mean, I'm fine with that. You know, if, it, if you just wear a mask to get you to your destination that's absolutely fine of course when you do get to your destination a lot but then you've got to keep it on to, to, to wait for two hours in the queue as well though i mean that's not yeah much fun, you know yeah no i mean you know I, I kind of get used to having one on it doesn't really no but I, guess, I mean i guess my question is will will airlines at some point make a decision on that i, I suppose what i'm saying i mean are, or are we stuck with it forever 
I don't know. That's a very good question. And I'll try and find out, but I have no idea at the moment. It might be one of those things that we're stuck forever. I mean, it's the same as supermarkets and indoor walking around, isn't it? Mm. When when will that be lifted? And I haven't personally heard anything about that. And I, I think, I guess it's one of those things that the government haven't even approached themselves yet. You know, as long as we can actually get people inside and get yeah. people moving, um, that's the first thing. But yeah, maybe we will be stuck with it forever, which will be annoying, wouldn't yeah. it? It would be. Because it seems overly paranoid. Well, but... I think so. I think, I think we need to get to a stage where we all say, look, here's where we are. Here's where we've been. It was pretty awful. Uh, but now, you know, we can do things differently and we can, we can start to, to get back to normal because I think most people now want there to be a normal they don't want there to be a new normal they want an old normal absolutely we're going to have to get rid, uh, used to living with the virus you know and hopefully the, the signs are brilliant at the moment with the vaccine and with yeah. the treatments and you know it's looking amazing there is no pandemic in the UK at least anymore I mean no. you look at countries like or India you know it, it's, it's devastating what's happening over there but it's official here yeah so as long as we're careful about what you know the borders I know that travel is an issue again looking at India and other countries um, as long as we're careful and we keep everyone gets vaccinated and we keep just doing what we've got to do I, I really hope that there is a future where it's not just a, a new normal but but a normal and we'll all be very glad for it i'm sure i think you're absolutely right lisa good to talk to you thank you very much indeed lisa francesca now travel journalist host of the big travel podcast of course if you've made plans if you've been booking holidays if you've been trying to book holidays and you're not sure uh, what to do uh, do let us know do call us of course 0344 499 1000 don't forget i still need pictures of your lockdown hair because we're going to be putting those all together and sticking them out on twitter uh, and on facebook so keep sending your pictures in we've had some great ones so far but we need more. Uh, so uh, you can tweet them at Talk Radio, at IROMG, and we'll pass them on to our digital guys uh, and they will do wonderful things with them. Meanwhile, let's go back to what I just said about Boris Johnson. The Electoral Commission has just announced that it will investigate the refurbishment of Boris Johnson's Downing Street flat, saying in this uh, these these words, Satis they are satisfied that there are reasonable grounds to suspect that an offence or offences may have occurred. Now, I've been telling you this week, for three days, that this is a big story. I've been telling you that this is more important than what Boris Johnson said. I've been telling you that Boris Johnson saying that, you know, we should let it rip or uh, that piles of bodies should be piled up high or that Dominic Cummings says that he thinks that there was a problem. All of those things are less important than the decoration story, right? The decoration story is the story. And I've been telling you that for the last three days. And for those of you who have said to me, you just pick it on Boris now. You just turned out like the BBC. You're just having to go at the government because you've gone all lefty and woke. No, I'll tell you what the stories are. I will tell you precisely why the stories are big and I will tell you when they're going to break. This is a big one. Boris is in trouble. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, let us talk uh, to a man who knows a thing or two about cars. He's Jim Holder, editorial director uh, of What Car, uh, which is not only a magazine, it's also a website. Because according to the newspapers this morning, we could all be sitting in driverless cars before the end of the year. Jim, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, um, this sort of fills some people with dread, and I'm afraid I'm one of them. Um, I know that it's not actually the fact that you're going to be sitting in the back of a car because you're going to be supposedly at the controls of it. But nevertheless, I'm not that keen on what I've seen so far from the driverless car experimentations in America. Yeah, completely understandable. Uh, but I think what we need to do here is get the definitions right. And I think one of the big issues coming out of today's announcement is this use of the phrase uh, driverless car. Mm. You know, ultimately, they w while the car will manoeuvre itself uh, up to speeds of 37 miles an hour, the driver has to be prepared to take control 
uh, within uh, 10 seconds, I, I believe, very, very quickly. The issue is, uh, on all of this technology to date, is that some of the naming structures being employed have encouraged people to do daft things, to you know, sit in the back of the car, sit in the passenger seat, watch a video while they're driving. There are countless examples, you don't have to go far looking on the internet, of people misinterpreting the technology or misusing the technology. And I think that's the real pity of today's announcement. They've gone you know, both feet in with this driverless car naming convention. Right. Ultimately, that's not what's going to happen. Well, would you prefer if it was called something else then? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a real problem here. And I think you know, when you go back to looking at the motivations for why they're doing this, I think there are car makers, certain car makers, uh, who have tried to steal a march on their rivals by using terms like autopilot. Uh, and I think now we've got the UK government trying to take this uh, leadership position in uh, a technology that, let's not forget, is estimated by some experts to be worth $7 trillion a year by 2050. You know, there is a gold rush around this technology and pushing those boundaries has a financial incentive. But safety has to come first. And while there are good end goals with uh, some of this technology to reducing accidents, you know, giving the users of it clear instruction as to what it can do is critical and i don't feel that this achieves that no because i mean some of the things that we've seen happening in america where these cars have crashed presumably that was outside of what you're talking about where there was somebody who was immediately going to take control within 10 seconds and presumably if your car is being driven automatically um and it's about to crash into something are you then alerted to take control absolutely you know a lot of the technology that exists today uh for keeping you in lane for keeping you a set distance uh, from other cars, you know, really, we're just talking about a very small, from the UK perspective of what's been announced today, a very small incremental step along that road. What we're seeing from these horrific accidents that have happened is people taking huge leaps, you know, of faith. They, they have been watching videos mm. whilst driving. You know, when you think at 70 miles an hour, how far you will travel in just a couple of seconds, you know, it's a, a huge amount of distance. All sorts of things can happen. So, yes, people have... Uh, either willfully or uh, made uh, a decision to, to give up their control or they've uh, been lured into it by some of these naming conventions and they've gone too far with what the technology is actually capable of. Yes, but I mean, eventually, isn't that where people want it to be going, though, in terms of where, where you would actually get into a car and it wouldn't have a driver and you would be taken to your destination and therefore you would not actually be in control of that car at any point? Yeah, I think uh, that is the ultimate goal. And I, but I think when you look you know, into the real techie detail, there are six stages, defined stages globally of autonomous driving. Mm. Six is uh, that ultimate goal that you're describing where we don't do anything in the car. There's no need for a steering wheel or pedals. But stages zero to five, uh, you know, they are still going to require a human to be fully alert. And it's that transition that is much harder probably than the end point, getting the transition where there's a mixture of cars, mixture of uh, people on our roads, trying to share the same space with different capabilities, uh, working to a set of regulations that was first crafted 120 years ago. That whole transition is an incredible minefield where we have to uh, be prepared to play our part as human beings in making the journey if that's where we want to go. And right. I appreciate it's not where a lot of people want to go. Well, I think that's right. And I mean, one of the interesting things is that they say, well, you know, most accidents are caused by human error. So therefore, we take human error out of the equation by putting it uh, in, into an automatic car. But effectively, unless you take all humans out of the uh, equation, then that's not going to be the case, is it? Absolutely. It's this, uh, you know, switch on, switch off. That transition period, as I say, is the really 
difficult part of it. I think you then have to factor in other elements. You know, when the car makers make their autonomous cars, how are they going to differentiate them? Is a you know a car from a brand that's supposedly sporty going to take more risks with trying to decide whether the person on the edge of the pavement pavement is really going to step into the road or not? You know, are, is one more safe brand going to take less risks and therefore provide a much jerkier, less enjoyable driving experience? You know, what is going to come out of this? You know, is a huge, huge societal shift that perhaps hasn't been considered mm. in its entirety. Well, also, we've got this sort of dual conversation going on, haven't we, in terms of cities and the way that cities are being planned now by, you know, those who like the idea of a green revolution, where there wouldn't be any cars in them anyway. Yeah, it's a, it's a very fair discussion. Obviously, electrification helps move uh, some of that story on and certainly move some of the emissions out of city centres. But there are so many factors at play, so many challenges. You've got to consider a city like London, uh, hundreds of years old, built for the horse and carts, not really for the road, uh, for the road car in, mm. in many instances. You know, the challenge of uh, an autonomous vehicle operating there compared to, say, a city built in China, which is in a grid system with very open spaces, very controlled pedestrian uh, elements, a much different challenge. And can this technology deal with all of these different challenges? Right. And what about the, 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 the sort of the, the, the length of time that we would have to take before we get to covering all of the kind of legal ramifications, insurance ramifications? Also, um, if we are to move to a place where there's a, there's a, a taxi that's driven by no one uh, taking you somewhere, uh, how long before, um, you know, we, we even talk about the ethical questions which have come up in some of these experiments whereby you know, they've, they've pointed a car at uh, a couple of different things, for example. And if you were uh, given a choice, as, you, as it were, as a driver to veer away from something, whether it be a dog or a cat uh, or, you know, a moose on the road or something like that, what would you do if you meant if, you, if, if doing that meant you might run a human over all of those kind of things? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the one that's often cited is when it has to choose between two humans. Yeah. You know, are we comfortable with a, a computer doing that? The legal challenges around this uh, and the legislative challenges are enormous. They yeah. are probably, as I say, bigger than the technical challenge of creating driverless cars. You know, mm. Driverless cars will run around in test environments today pretty well. Uh, but the legal challenges of bringing that out into the open are massive. And that, you know, that is one positive from today's announcement. It is, you know, the naming aside, it is a small, sensibly careful step. If it's where we want to go, this is the sort of way to do it. Baby steps all the way. Right. And does it have a sort of commercial use as well? I mean, would we see driverless buses? Would we see driverless vans, maybe? You know, Amazon, I would imagine, would be in the forefront of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and already a lot of trials have gone on around the world, particularly actually with lorries, uh, because there are huge uh, in, uh, environmental and economic benefits from running lorries close together uh, in sort of long trains on the road uh, because they're much more aerodynamic as a result uh, and they can operate that much more safely. Now, that technology has been uh, developed. Uh, it is still being tested, but there are much wider implications. And I suppose if you were pro this sort of thing, the argument you'd give is that we're, a lot of us are happy to get on an aeroplane, uh, which is flown completely by computer. Uh, sometimes even landed and taken off. Sometimes there is next to no human interaction. You know, yeah, but if you told those people on that plane that, you know, not only is that the case, but actually there's nobody in the cockpit, I'm not sure they'd all get on. Yeah, absolutely. But then you're into the sort of psychology of the situation. Right. No, it's fascinating. And I mean, is it right that we will, you think, uh, Jim, uh, knowing what you know about the business, see these cars on our streets in one way, shape or form before the end of this year then? 
I think there will be a lot of testing. I think what's been very interesting watching this industry over the last decade or so, you know, these cars were meant to be on our roads much earlier. I think the, the, the practical and, as you say, legislative challenges are proving much greater than anyone anticipated. While the testing may well begin this year, uh, while there may be this sort of gold rush mentality to trying to get to the end point, I think we're looking at decades, not a couple of years before this is a fully fledged uh, change to our lifestyles. Yeah, absolutely. Jim, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Jim Holder, editorial director of What Car magazine uh, website there as well. Um, would you drive a driverless car? Technically speaking, you wouldn't be driving it, but you'd be sitting in the driver's seat. Second of that uh, question, would you actually sit in the back of a car that didn't have a driver? Funnily enough, uh, I was just watching um, a Total Recall just the other day and, you know, the Johnny car that they have that they drive around in, in that, uh, where you basically just give instructions to the bloke uh, as to where you want to go. And he's a robot. You know, I know that's science fiction, but you could have that sort of thing going on. I wouldn't mind a taxi that had no driver because then you wouldn't have to talk to them. Equally, um, I don't think I'd want to sit in a car if I was driving it unless I was driving it, because that's the whole point of driving, isn't it? Why would you sit in the driver's seat if you're not driving it? It doesn't make any sense to me. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.